Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Hey, mommy. They might be Mariners, Lookout Landings, Prospects Focused Podcast. I'm your host, John Troopin, uh, Deputy Managing Editor at Lookout Landing, joined today by Prospects expert and staff writer Joe Doyle, as well as Managing Editor Kate Prusser. Uh, Joe, how are you doing? Uh, we're, we're about, we're, on, we're, we're recording this right as the World Series is uh, about to finally kick off. But uh, are, you, are you excited about the World Series and, or, or more excited for sort of getting into the offseason and, and sort of starting to see some more uh, changes and, and seeing how the Mariners uh, start to shape up this winter? I'm excited for both. I'm, I'm really excited that the Rays got in. I think they're going to be a fun team to watch. Uh, the Dodgers, I think everyone expected them to get in. Um, and then the offseason should be fun. I think Seattle's going to you know, spend more than they've done the last couple of years and um, bring in some some fun pieces to track. So, yeah, I think there's, you know, we've got three or four pretty exciting months ahead. Sweet. And Kate, how how are you holding up over there? How, how, what's, what's your excitement level? I will disagree with my colleague's assessment that I'm not surprised about the Dodgers because I would say, like, I went along the season with, like, a 99% confidence interval of the the Dodgers going to the World Series, and then I watched them play the Braves, and man, that was 
what a series. Uh, what good baseball. And I've been trying to decide if it was like that I was just kind of baseball starved, that the Mariners have been playing, you know, admittedly pretty bad baseball the last two years, uh, what it what it was, but I think these were just a, couple, a, a few of some of the best, like, playoff series I've ever seen. And I honestly, there were points where I wasn't sure who was going to go through. I thought both teams uh, kind of gave you a pretty good barometer of how, I don't want to say like how far the Mariners are away, but the yeah. pieces that they still need. Yeah, when the playoffs started, I was like, the Mariners could have been in this. And then yeah. as it winnowed down towards land, I was like, oh no, this is a, this is entirely a different class every of baseball. Arm, every arm Tampa throws out is like a hundred mile an hour sinker. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Not a Brady Lale insight. Not a Brady Lale. <laughs> nary a Brady Lale. Yeah, R.I.P. Um... Yeah, I, I think you know we talked about this uh, actually on the on the main pod on the on the LL pod, but we we did a um, sort of someone embodied each of the four uh, championship series teams, and and that was a lot of fun. But I also felt like that that really solidified that sentiment for Speak me. Speak for well. yourself. I had to be the Astros. Well, that sucked. That's fair, but you could still see you know like how. Uh, you know, the Mariners really, you know, you get the hints and pieces, but like several of these teams are, I mean, you know, especially the Braves and, and the Rays and the Also, uh, the Dodgers. Rays still have Wander Franco, like just just right. hanging out like yeah. the Rays, yeah. the Rays and Padres, too, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, made it that far while still having top ranked farm systems, which is really the dream, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um so yeah, I thought it was I thought it was very interesting and and made me all the more excited to talk to you guys today um, because we are going to uh, look into specifically the 2021 draft uh, today. Now that the draft order is officially set, the Mariners will have the 12th overall pick, um, and we know who's going to be picking where ahead of them and behind them. Um, so how this uh, next stage of the Development is going to come together uh, in, in major part uh, for a draft that should be at least 20 rounds, potentially more, probably not going to be 40, but uh, much larger than this past year's sort of sad, uh, sad version and should be stacked, right? Should I mean, this stacked. Should, yeah, not only are there going to be, you know, the natural number of, of players who were going to be quite impressive, but a lot of talented players who didn't end up going this past year or who decided not to enter um, uh, and end up really impressive group of high schoolers. It, it, it seems like so uh, we're going to, we're going to go straight into questions uh, on, on this and uh, the, well, I want to say before um, we would love to talk about the instructional league, but uh we just don't have much info, and all the info we're really getting is little bits and pieces from the uh, you know from the team. So it, it's nice to see some 110 mile per hour hits off of Julio Rodriguez's bat, but uh, you know there's not too much. Tell us again who the who the who his home run came off of his uh, most recent home run. Oh God, is Alan Pennington? I believe it was something Pennington. It took me. It took me a very long time to find the the fellow's uh, name because he doesn't have a fan gaffes profile. Did not seem to have a uh, baseball reference, but Walter Pennington. There hey, we go. hey, do, don't dilute 
what Julio is capable of. Okay, just Look, because is... the guy is not on Baseball Reference <laughs> and guys from 1844 are, does not mean it's true. Yeah. I mean, he's you know, Col- he's, a, he's still a lefty who went to uh, the Colorado School of Mines and uh, was. I mean, you know, it's a dude who they literally like, pulled him out of a hole. They did, yeah. It's a, I mean, quite little. Um, but, you know, but I mean, it's a 23-year-old being clobbered by a 19, 20, is Julio 20 yet? Or is he still 19? I believe uh, Julio is still 19 yeah, until 19. this, dis- late this December. Yes. Okay. So, yeah. So, you know, I mean, it's still impressive stuff. And, and uh, Taylor Trammell turned around a 99-mile-per-hour fastball for Homer. So, you know, there's good stuff. Um, and, and seeing some of the pitchers pump up their velocity, Levi Stout pitching, Sam Carlson pitching, it's good stuff. But we just don't have enough to really go in-depth on that. So, what we are going to go on depth on is the draft. And we're going to start with a question from Merle on Twitter, at Merle K, uh, which is, how do you feel about the worse-than-expected draft positioning, and will it have an effect, if any, on the rebuild? Or, conversely, is it a sign of the rebuild starting to work? Here's how I feel. Uh, Me sewing. (laughs) Yeah, this rules. Winning so many games. (laughs) Me reaping. What the fuck? This fucking sucks. Like, it was so fun to win all those games. And as I was doing draft prep for this pod, I was like, oh, well, this fucking sucks. Like, this is so much less fun than last year when I was like, oh, we're guaranteed to get one of these really good players at the spot we're picking at. Who will it be? Who knows? But one of them is going to be really good. And being bumped back to 12th is like, ugh. Especially with the margin being, like, a game and a half. Yeah, it is really, really rough to know that, like, really the Mariners, although I don't think talent-wise were a middle-of-the-pack team, finished middle-of-the-pack. And I was really hoping they'd do draft standings by, like, some kind of formula of a combination of last year and this year because... I think some teams, I think there were some outliers. Like, I really don't think the Pittsburgh Pirates were as bad as the Pirates finished. Like, they got off to a terrible start. They had some terrible injury luck. And, but they really pulled it together towards, like, down the stretch. Their new pitching coach is making a lot of good, like, good differences in their uh, pitching staff. They're getting away from that sinker heavy. I I think they would have pulled out. Um, obviously we saw the Astros not as bad as, as their rec- you know, who just kind of snuck into the playoffs above us. So I, I'm disappointed about how that went. Um, although I am, you know, somewhat comforted by the fact that the reason that we're in this situation is because some guys did better than expected. And specifically, I got to point to, I just got to keep Justice Sheffield as my guiding light because... It was hard to imagine his season going better, so it really does stay focused on, on that. Yeah, I mean, the pitchers from 2020 really did grow. I mean, um, I, here's how I take it. It's like a rebuild is not the flip of a switch. It's, it's you know, t- two or three years of picking really, really high, and then you have to start building to something much bigger. And I think this year was the obvious first step in – you know, taking a step toward contending. And I don't know if that's going to happen in 2021. Um, Jerry says that they are going to compete for a playoff spot. I, I agree with that. I think they're going to be in the conversation till August, but I think 2022 is probably where you're going to really start seeing a, a hard 
um, you know, push for the playoffs and an expectation for the playoffs. Um, so I think what 2020 did for the Mariners is it it gave the front office and hopefully the ownership group enough of a taste that hey, it's it's time to spend. Now, you know, we're not we're not a bottom feeder anymore. It's time to spend. We're on the up and up, um, and this needs to take place. If the cost of you know getting the ownership group to spend is picking 12th instead of sixth, so be it. But um, yeah, that's I just I view it as a big stepping stone. So I think that's important. But I will say, like agreeing to Kate's point, if uh, if this was a 162 game conventional year, I think Seattle probably ends up picking closer to seventh or eighth because there's a lot of teams that are ahead of them that I don't think they're as good as. I don't think they're as good as the Mets. I don't think they're as good. I think the Nationals are picking ahead of them. I don't think they're as good as the Nationals. Um, hell, even, you know, I don't think they're as good as the Angels, even though the Angels step on their own, you know, tail every day. So, but yeah, I think, you know, it, it it's part of the growing process. So uh, 2020 was a win in my book. I agree. I, I think it, it's a challenge because... You know, as you said, it was so close to being, you know, still in that top 10, still in the middle of the top 10 even. Um, but, yeah, it wasn't a longer season. But, the, you know, there were enough strides that, yes, I think the rebuild is starting to work. And, and the bigger challenge to the rebuild not working is not at the big league level at this point. It is that you had so many guys in the minors who you're relying on who didn't get a full proper season. Mm-hmm. Um, and didn't get a chance to debut, or over not given the chance to debut, um, so that that was too bad. But uh, I, I still think you know I'm a big believer that yes, where you draft matters, but it is so much more. You know, there are so many talented players at this point that you know, yeah, there are going to be a few surefire stars in a draft, but for the most part, it's going to be these guys have. The talent and you know the skill set are you as a team able to develop them properly um because you know i think there's there's enough talent in dozens of players in each draft to be high level performers and it's whether they are guided the right way um which which could be wrong but but that that that's where that's where i come down on it so i'm okay with 12 and some more encouraging development mm-hmm so uh, let's uh, let's get right into the draft here. Um, let's start with a question from Max at mxwl18 on Twitter. Uh, are the prep talents most likely available at number twelve good enough to justify their inherent riskier nature over the typical college player? What prep player would you ideally draft 12th overall, assuming Jordan Lawler is gone, which I think, sadly, unless something goes very strange, is a fair assumption. I uh, think so. Uh, <laughs> this is a really good question for Max. Um, yeah, I think, you know, with Jerry, he's shown that he's pretty risk-averse with his first pick in any draft. Um, you know, he, he did... He loved Jared Kelnick. Uh, Jared Kelnick had a, a hard carrying tool in the hit tool. Um, I've heard some other hitters um, that he's been attracted to in the first round of, of previous drafts that um, had really carrying uh, power tools. Um, so I think, you know, what you need to 
kind of look at as far as the preps that may be available at number 12 for Seattle. I'll, I'll, I'll preface all this by saying I think there's an almost 0% chance that a, a high school arm would be the route that Jerry would go. I just think there's nothing that a high school arm could do that would impress Jerry enough to get him away from all of that risk. So that kind of brings you to the hitters. I do think Jordan Lawler is gone. Um, I think there's no way he makes it past the Diamondbacks, who I think are like drafting fifth or sixth, even if he has a poor spring or you know he's sidelined with a small injury. Um, so that really brings up Brady House, um, a shortstop who has drawn comparisons to Matt Chapman. He may move to third base, of course. He's a really big-bodied adult type player already, and Marcelo Mayer. Um, with, excuse me, Marcelo Meyer. I think with Brady House, if he's there at 12, Jerry would jump on it. And the hit tool still has big question marks, but with with that amount of power and that amount of athleticism um, on the diamond, that's really hard for any team to pass up. Now, if you question the hit yeah, tool, go look that's at go fine. look at go look at Brady House. Like, just go look at him compared to everyone else because he he has an, a really imposing physique. I believe I've said He's this before, adult. but when I saw him, I said, "Oh my god!" Like out loud by myself <laughs> because yeah. he's just he's that much of like a physical like. And there, there are so many. There's so much promise just in the frame alone. Like he looks physically like a special player yeah and the only question with Brady is going to be is he going to hit like is he going to hit more than 230 and the other question is is he a shortstop um and I don't necessarily know if it matters he's only he's only he's barely going to be 18 at the draft he's going to be 18 in two months so he's going to be young too which is incredible because he looks 26 um so yeah (laughs) if Brady House is there at 12 I definitely think he's the type of prep profile that Jerry would go after. The other one, Marcelo Meyer, I've heard that the team likes Meyer right now. I don't know if they love Meyer. He's really tapped into more power at the WWBA World Championships and that he's going to have to show more power, consistent power in the spring uh, to, I think, catch Jerry's attention. But Uh, There are people that'll say Marcelo Meyer is the better prospect than uh, Jordan Lawler. So Brady House, definitely think there is a chance that Jerry could go that way. Marcelo Meyer, less of a chance, but it's still possible. Well, and just on Meyer, in Meyer, the sort of case there is he's a shortstop, right? Mm -hmm. That that, that you're sure he's going to be there up the middle. Um, Yeah, there's a lot of... um, There's there's a lot of, well, I guess not a lot, but personally, I think there's some comparisons to Corey Seager, just in where Corey Seager was. Not who Corey Seager is right now. He's obviously a, an MVP candidate, but uh, when Corey Seager was drafted, like people questioned, he's pretty big. Like, mm-hmm. could he move to third? Mm-hmm. Um, he's got a lot of opposite field power, but is he going to be a true power hitter? Mm-hmm. And the trajectory of his career, um, you know, kind of speaks for itself. So. Yeah. If you ever, you know, are are sitting at home and wondering, you know, well, I mean, how much of a difference is 30 pounds, really? Marcelo Meyer and Brady House, I believe, are listed both as 6'3", and just with 30 pounds of, you know, gap, 
And mm-hmm. it is like, I mean, like, as you said, like, <laughs> Brady S looks like he's, you know, like he could be starting at third base or shortstop for one of the teams this weekend. That's the uh, crazy this week. thing. Is and, Brady House looks like he could play shortstop. Yeah. And, and he's 6'3", 220. Yeah. And Marcelo Meyer looks like, you know, a prospect. So, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think those are some good some good options there. Um, yeah, I, I think it'll be it'll be interesting because I, I guess for, for I, have, I have a question for you guys, which we can we can actually round this into a question from Patrick Thornton here at Shadow underscore Whiskers on Twitter, um, which is what are the chances of the Mariners trading either down or their first round completely to gather more draft picks slash trade bait? Um, and an unfortunate uh, sort of component of baseball's drafting uh, or draft process is that outside of um, to go into the minutia, there are compens- uh, compensatory picks that teams get um, and collective bargain or uh, collective bargaining picks, and those are the only trade or picks that people can actually trade you can't actually trade your normal draft picks uh in the draft which was initially out of fear that uh teams would lose leverage to players who would demand that they could only they would only sign with certain teams i believe Mm -hmm. and now seems to just kind of be a risk aversion sort of fear thing um, I really think it would be a benefit to the game if they could do it. Um, although I suppose there's a, the, the teams fear, uh, you know, rich rich teams would just trade their draft picks and buy, you know, the best players off of small teams, which otherwise happens anyway. So I don't know, <laughs> you know, that would just allow teams to rebuild really quickly. So I feel like that's a, a positive. Um, all of which is to wrap around and say, I won. Do you guys think Seattle tries to get another comp pick like they did in the Omar Narvaez trade, um, and the the Carlos Santana trade um, to try and maybe give themselves a little leeway to go prep up top? I think Jerry would love another comp pick, but I think year over year they're getting more and more expensive. I don't know if Seattle has anyone that they could move for for a comp pick. Um, just kind of spitballing. Like, that would make sense to move. Keith, can you think of anyone that could be moved for, like, the 75th pick in the draft? I no, I mean, I think our trade bait is, like, Matt McGill at this point. <laughs> like, yeah, and sadly. He's hurt, so. Yeah, I mean, we could potentially, I guess, trade some reliever type pieces. I could see maybe Nick Margevichis. Maybe he could pull a comp B pick, but I don't know I don't know why you'd move him after right. hit the year he had. Yeah, I don't I don't uh, alas. Yeah. I think what you could potentially run into is uh, yeah, the only way I could really see them getting a comp pick particularly easily is if we're getting into midseason next year, the M's are looking decent, but maybe, you know, just the the wild card race is pulled away from them already as has the division um and you know the nl is still tight as it usually has been and they kind of get something with the like what they did with the nats um where they've got you know maybe carl edwards jr looks really good and they trade you know him and then like a couple other 
low-cost relievers to uh, to a club with a good team but a struggling bullpen. Yeah. Um, so I can see that. Okay. Um, here's a, uh, a nice question from uh, Josh Camp, at Late Great Campy on Twitter. Um, on a specific player. Uh, so the question is, does Anthony Solometto fit the Mariners mold of pitchers with a big extension and low release points. Is he a possibility at 12th overall? And Solomedo is a big left-handed pitcher. Uh, if you're very online, you might have seen a clip of him. I believe he got the pitching ninja uh, or, or potentially just the flat ground hitting uh, treatment. But uh, Joe, Kate, can you tell us a little more about Solomedo and whether he might make sense there? Yeah, this is a really good question. Um, so, First of all, bringing up Anthony Solometto's name is awesome because, you know, he's not on too many boards right now. Um, I've been pretty high on him for, for like uh, about a month, month and a half, and I do think he's going to be a first-round arm. He's a lot like he's a lot like Madison Bumgarner, a little bit like Andrew Miller, I guess. It's a really low three-quarter arm slot, really low, and he takes it way outside of the uh, outside of the rubber, kind of like uh, like Chris Sale does. Um, yeah, I mean, the kid's like 93 to 96 with a true plus slider. And apparently, he says he's got a changeup. He hasn't needed to throw it because he got, you know, he's got 96 in the bag and a 82, 83-mile-an-hour slider that, you know, comes to the plate just like Chris Sales does or, uh, you know, Madison Bumgarner. To your point, I don't think... So, yeah, he's got pretty good extension. It's not the biggest extension. There's definitely more in the tank there. Um, the low release point will definitely interest Seattle, but um, Solometto actually throws uh, a pretty heavy sinker. So he is coming from that low spot, but he's not really riding it up in the zone like you'd see you know, Logan Gilbert or George Kirby do. So it's a little different in that respect. Uh, 12 is a little rich for his arm, uh, maybe at pick 50 if he's still there. Um, but I don't think he's going to be in play for Seattle at 12. Okay. Well, I, I'm interested to see him, uh, you know, as this sort of develops, especially since so much of, uh, of what's going right now is, you know, you're getting little bits of college players, but it's mostly high school showcases, right? I mean, it's, it's mostly seeing sort of, some of it's sort of the inverse of of what it is usually where you're getting a ton of looks at college guys but now now we're getting a, a lot of looks at prep guys to to sort of separate themselves especially especially uh without without as much uh, high level competition um let's go to a question from danny kirkland at danny kirkland on twitter um so of all the guys you currently have in your top five, which has the highest chance to fall to the Mariners at 12, like Emerson Hancock did last year? Uh, obviously, Hancock, you know, fell to the Mariners less far down, but, uh, but you know, like Kyle Lewis uh, several years ago was, was thought to be a top five guy and, and ended up falling to Seattle at 11. So I, uh, I guess I can start this one. Um... So for my, this is another good question from Danny, um, especially with what ha happened with Lewis and Hancock. Um, my five right now is Rocker, Lawler, Hill, uh, Fabian, and I think Leiter is five. Um, 
I could see Jaden Hill falling to Seattle at 12. I don't think it's going to happen. The only I think the only way that happens is if um, his fastball hasn't taken a step forward and he gets touched up a little bit this year. But, I mean, his stuff is just so loud that, you know, I don't think he gets past, uh, I mean, Baltimore at five or six makes a lot of sense. And I think Washington, the Nationals pick at, you know, nine or 11 or something like that. Um, so I don't know if he necessarily gets past those two spots. I will say, though, I think for Seattle, in a perfect world, my number six player is Matt McClain. And if Matt McClain were to fall to 12 somehow, I think he would be a dream come true for Seattle because as much as they love college pitchers, if they get a true college shortstop with a track record to fall to 12, um, I would be surprised. I would if that be wasn't, over the moon. Yeah, I, would I mean, I feel a little bad because McLean is absolutely who I would love. There are two college players that I love in this draft that I think will be will go in the top ten, and we have no shot at them. Um, and I mean, and I'm thinking position players specifically because I'm sorry. I just I know you take the best player available. I do not want any more pitchers. I don't uh, give me a position player. Give me death. But um, I would love, I feel bad because I would love, love, love Matt McClain. And I just think it would take, it almost takes rooting against him somehow. It takes like some kind of question coming up about him for him to get to us. That's the thing. If he falls to 12, it's like, oh, did Matt McClain not hit? Like, did he not hit at UCLA this year? And if he didn't hit at UCLA, it's like, do you still have as much enthusiasm behind him? So, yeah, I'm totally on board with that, Kate. I was going to say, I mean, th- this is reductive since it's just another UCLA player, but it's it's almost a, a, a – it would have to be sort of a Garrett Mitchell situation where it's like, well, there was like sort of a question mark here, and that question mark, like, it hasn't been resolved, but mm-hmm. he's just continued performing exactly in the way that he has been performing, but continue to do it really well. So, like, does that make you – feel encouraged that that you know that that his shit is gonna work uh (laughs) as to to put it a certain way or is it you know does it make you more discouraged that that he's you know that something something isn't uh you know improving or or, or changing there yeah i i think that's a it's a tough one Uh, i think it's a really i mean would you would you guys say there's a clear top five here or is it more of like a clear top two top three what i mean because because last year there we kind of solidified into a top five and there's still time for that to happen but i really think it's in the eye of the beholder right now it's still it's still super early i mean there's people that are going to have brady house in the top two i've got brady house just outside of the top 10 after this last week um and there's going to be people that have Jaden hill at number two and there's going to be people that have Jaden hill outside of the top 10 so um, and I think, you know, over the last two or three months, Jack Leiter, there might not be a more polarizing name. Some people have him one and some people have him, you know, eight. So I don't know if there's necessarily a, like a stapled in top five, top six, but I can see Leiter's height names. becoming a, an issue. Leiter's like six foot, right? Yeah. Six. One, I, one I can nine. see Leiter's height becoming you know how there's always that one thing that kind of dogs uh, somebody who should be high. I could see him taking a tumble be- 
just because of that, because there's a lot of college pitching up towards the top. Uh, I'd add Judd Fabian to that top. I just keep seeing his... He's not one of my favorites, personally, but I just keep seeing him over and over and over again Yeah, in that I top love, five. I think Fabian... I don't know if uh, if Fabian were to fall to 12, it would be really tough for Jerry to pass that up, but um, if they drafted a college outfielder, like, boy, that would be... That would be a very weird feeling for Mariners fans, I think. Yeah. How do you utilize this? I just, none of these guys come with the kinds of questions that, you know, like uh, Vanderbilt, Florida, UCLA, Miami, Louisville, like these guys don't come from, none of them have like the Kyle Lewis question or even the Nick Gonzalez question of like, what was the competition level? Like, I don't see there being as many factors fluctuating to move these guys up and down. I mentioned earlier that I had two favorite college targets, neither of which I think will be there. The other one is uh, Adrian Del Castillo, the catcher from Miami. Mm-hmm. I love him. I love his swing. It It is possibly, it's my favorite college swing. I think it is just a thing of beauty. It is a beautiful left-handed power swing, maybe the best lefty power in the class. And uh, I think there is... Absolutely no prayer that he is around at 12. I Again, either. I really hate to to root against you, Adrian, but I would really like you to be a Mariner. So maybe just like injure a toe or something. <laughs> something non-terminal. Something, just just something small. Yeah. Non-terminal is the bar. <laughs> um, so speaking of, of Adrian himself, um, we got a question from Dayholy Grail at Dayholy underscore Grail on Twitter. Um, how desperate are the Mariners for another solid pit catching prospect, and what's the likelihood we will draft one? Um, this also, I, I you know, we've been talking a lot at the top of the draft. I don't know if there are, you know, obviously Del Castillo is is a very enticing one, but I don't know if there are catchers. Beyond, you know, the 12th overall pick that, that you guys think could very easily be appealing. Um, oh, yeah. But. Big time. There's definitely some catchers uh, beyond the 12th pick, but I think I think Seattle should take a catcher with the 12th pick. I think they should take Henry Davis out of Louisville. Uh, his, like, everything about that profile checks out for me. Are the Mariners desperate? Um, probably not. I mean, they've obviously put a ton of press and a ton of, uh, you know, development time into Cal Raleigh, but, you know, from a, from an unbiased point of view, I think it's dangerous to put all your eggs in one basket, especially considering, you know, Raleigh hasn't yet proven that he is going to be a big league hitter. Um, the power is awesome and the arm has flashed, but the hit tool is, is still in question. Um, I think Henry Davis out of Louisville would be like, a perfect, perfect fit for Seattle. Um, and I've talked about that before in the, in the scouting report that I wrote as far as like catchers after that. Yeah. There's some like Joe Mack is a high school catcher that I would like to pipe up. Yeah, go. please. Uh, because this is my, this is, I, I missed a chance earlier to say, uh, who I would like them to take as a as a prep prospect at 12. Um, and it's because I don't think there's any prayer that they would take him, but I love Ian Mahler. I love him. Uh, and obviously prep catcher is like the riskiest demographic and with DePoto being the most risk averse GM, uh, I don't think there's any prayer, but 
he would be a good fit at 12. I think he's got a first round skill set. Um, the power is legit. If you're talking carrying tools, like absolutely the power is a carrying tool. Also, the defense is a carrying tool, I think. Like, he's one of the better defenders in the class. He's a leader. He's got that, like, fiery personality. Uh, he's a black catcher, which we just don't have any of. Um, so it, I think he'd be a great fit, like, organizationally. Uh, it was just, it, they would <laughs> they would never, ever do it, even though it makes a lot of sense. So anyway, I've been sitting on my Ian Mahler take for a long time, um just had to get that off my chest they wouldn't pick him but uh i love him and i'll be a fan of wherever of him wherever he goes and i wish they would because i think he'd be a great fit i don't and they can afford to take time with him because they have cal raleigh yeah i don't think so you can develop the possibility that he's available at at like 48 or 50 just really i don't don't think think, i don't i i think he's gone earlier than that i do too i think he's probably like a back end of the first yeah the first round um but I think the possibility exists, and if they, you know, don't go with, like, Henry Davis at 12, that would be a really appealing pick uh, for Seattle down at 48 or 50. So, yeah, I, he's a really good player, for sure. Yeah, I, I, I think the eggs in your basket, all in one basket thing. First off, stop putting your eggs in a basket. There are better ways to carry your eggs. Uh, we got Especially in a Cal Raleigh-shaped basket. Yeah, yeah. Just very not. large. Your eggs will get crushed. Yeah, yeah. He's not... He is... Uh, he's not exactly known for his subtlety. Um, so, I, I do think that they should uh, should take a chance to, to add a catcher. You know, Carter Bins is solid, and I, I'm glad they picked him up. Uh, that was sort of a... Steel is not necessarily the right word, but it was nice to get a probably the best day two player um from the 2019 draft um but or day three day three player sorry um but i think um yeah the the organizational depth at catcher is poor so getting getting a little bit of uh, of extra support in there would be nice um i will say because because you mentioned this uh, a little bit earlier and, and i've been thinking about it uh the organizational depth in terms of guys like Jed Fabian and and even some of the other sort of outfield prospects there, um, you know whether it's preps like I don't know like James Wood or um, you know some of the some of the other sort of more polished guys like there's a ton of outfield depth in the mid and upper levels of the system, but the lower levels of the system, I mean especially because of how little they've drafted. Uh, position players you know it's almost exclusively international guys which is great but it's also like in the lower levels of the system you kind of have Jonathan Klasse and then you know you're you're sort of looking at like well this is maybe somebody but I'm not totally sure so I I'm not too concerned if they if they say we're going to go with another outfielder because that's four to five years you know, True. down the line, I think, and I don't know that there's a ton of exciting guys. Whereas there are a ton of exciting guys, zero to two years away, and that's that's not a conflicting issue for me. Um, because, but with with Judd Fabian, where would you land? Because I would assume, like, if you're taking a college outfielder at twelve, the presumption would be he would play, you know, in Seattle possibly in 2023. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, it could be that quick. I, I think part of it there is certainly like I think you're you're hoping to get a guy to the bigs if you if you're drafting a college guy, you want him there in three years, right? Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean, it could be 2023. It could be 2024. Um, for Fabian, I think it's helped that he's pretty. He's like particularly young, isn't he? He's like only going to be 20. Yeah. Um, he's only gonna be twenty in like five months. I mean, he's really young. Yeah. So so yeah. I don't I don't know that he's gonna be there at twelve. So it probably doesn't matter. But um, yeah, I, I I think that for that, I mean, that is three years from you know next July. At which point you probably have Kelnick up. You have Kyle Lewis. You know, Tramel is in Arkansas or Tacoma. Julio's probably in Arkansas, so you know. Well, if I, we're talking building outfield depth uh, for the lower levels, can I shoehorn in one more prep prospect? Yeah, I'd like to please, talk about. Please uh, put Damian a shoehorn Lyle. in that basket. I'm gonna I'm gonna shoehorn Damian Lyle in, um, whose swing I really like. It's a swing that is geared to do damage. Um, beautiful left-handed swing. Um, and great bat-to-ball skills. So in that way, like, reminds me a little of Kelnick without, obviously, like, Kelnick's kind of prestige. And I wonder how much of that, again, too, is just him not not getting a chance to play as much. Um, But, yeah, another minority prospect, another, like, person I'd love to see us help grow the game. Um, Yeah, really, one of my favorite bats in the class, but, and really falls outside... I think outside 12, even, uh, I don't see him getting talked up as much as, as I personally like him. Yes. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Um, all right, let's uh, let's move to... I called him have... Damien. It's Dalen. Dalen Lyle. Oh, okay. Sorry, Dalen. Uh, we had a question from... Uh, what do we call... I believe we called her LL Emeritus. Uh Isabel Manassian, at 95 Coffee Spoons on Twitter. Uh, In recent years, y'all have obviously been the M's minor league uh, source, but fans don't typically begin their baseball-loving journey as prospect hounds. What sparked your respective interests in prospects and scouting? And what is the first MLB draft you were truly excited about? This is such a good question, and, and cut from such a different cloth. I love this question. Um, <clears throat> I think for me, scouting and like player development in general might have spawned from video games, as weird as that sounds. 
Like I was, I was always the guy that like, yeah, like I liked playing the video games, but I really liked drafting and like developing players and like, you know, slowly turning them into stars. Um, growing up, especially, you know, on the Nintendo 64 and Xbox 360 and stuff like that. So yeah, I think mine came out of video games and then I really got interested in scouting baseball in like 2011 was the first draft that I really did my research and you know like I knew like the top 50 guys and I was like oh you know Trevor Story like Seattle should take Trevor Story in the 40s it would be such a steal type of thing Um, and then it just has kind of like spiraled into something more you know more important to me and more of a passion over the last decade so yeah I just think it's it's kind of like that thing where if you have this band that nobody's heard of and it's your band and they're not allowed to be on the radio because it's your band and then when they're on the radio it's an I told you so type of thing maybe that's there's a there's a bit of a some agency in that I guess I love that I very much um empathize empathize I I relate to the video game component um my friends and I certainly played you know whatever video game it was whether it was you know a baseball one or uh you know nba live or uh madden or or you know really whatever it was it was all you know we would stay up you know very late doing you know drafts into you know into the into the night you know decades in the future and um it was such a fun thing to like have a guy be your guy so you know i think that's always been part of it um and you know, I played baseball all the way through college pretty poorly, but, you know, was present. Um, and so that, uh, you know, being around the game and seeing how some of the, you know, seeing how development worked and then coaching after that was, was helpful, obviously. And, you know, ultimately wanting to figure out how, you know, how the game came together, how, how teams uh came together how players transformed um you know I, I mean it is just it's it's an endless uh source of you know possibility and interest and and potential and and especially as you know Kate and I have talked about this a lot like the Mariners are not always all that exciting to watch and when you don't really feel like watching the Mariners you to be able to turn and say, all right, I'm going to go watch some minor league games. All right, I'm going to go watch some video of some people who might be exciting. That that keeps my interest fresh and it keeps my inspiration to write about the game and to follow the game and to see if I can figure out something new or, or learn something new. That that keeps me fresh. So yeah, so for sure. That's that's where I started from because. I started this, I knew nothing about drafting, development. I never played baseball other than Charlie Brown baseball. I have no experience in that, which always makes me feel like, ha, ah, what am I doing? I It's some severe imposter syndrome because, like, I never played baseball. Like, how do I know what I'm talking about? Um, but it really did start from just, like, uh, I thought I could never know anything about prospects because I was like, that's a whole huge world of baseball. And I'm still trying to get my arms around like professional baseball. Like I don't have time for minor leagues, but then like starting kind of doing this 
and realizing we needed to cover the minor leagues and that that was where a lot of the interest was going to be with this team. Um, and, you know, we started in like kind of the <laughs> kind of dark days of a uh, really barren farm and, and trying to make a lot out of a little and um, uh, just watching those games. I think what what really got me about minor league games is like you can start at like one o'clock Pacific and just have baseball that goes until, depending on, you know, if you have a wild California league shootout, until midnight. Um, and it's just a kind of a constant companion. You can almost always find a minor league game. And it's more interesting if you know who the players are. So that started it for me in a, in a big way. Um, I think it's, you know, the the ever-presence is, is a really great point. And Isabel and I have actually talked about this specifically because I think for, uh, you know, she specifically comes to it from the other end of the spectrum where, you know, she's generally covering literally the best people to ever play the game. And, and that's sort of what she's constantly working with. And so it sometimes can feel like, man, a lot of these guys kind of suck, <laughs> you know, when, when, when looking at prospects or, or looking, you know, or, or it looks sloppy, not, not in that mean, mean spirited way, but just in the sense of like, uh, you know, it can be pretty, you know, ugly or unimpressive at times and and it absolutely can be that way but i think there's also something very pleasant and very charming in the sense of you're just watching baseball because of something that might happen that you might see and i, I don't know i, I don't want to i don't want to go too hokey on it but it is like it's a very relaxing you know sort of experience and practice to watch you know video and to watch games and see like okay you know does anything jump out to me here or what what am I looking for here and and try and be that sort of engaged listener engaged watcher in an active way and and it feels participatory uh in in a way that baseball sometimes doesn't I will add just one other thing because I think it's kind of interesting if you're a prospect you know, writer or, or you, you know, do scouting reports or you watch minor leaguers, um, there's an added, there's almost an added element of expectation that is added to your fandom. You know, on the surface, anyone that's a baseball fan that lives in Seattle, for the most part, will root for the Mariners. But if you're rooting for prospects, if you're rooting for development and like, you know, how much fun have we had watching Julio just like mash guys that are four years older than him, you know, over and over and over. It does have the potential to like, you know, not disappoint, I guess, yeah, like disappoint you in a way because you grow attached to these guys. Like the darkest Mariner day that I can remember over the last like decade for me personally was when we found out Otani wasn't signing with us because I thought that was a franchise altering day. But the second most devastating day that I distinctly remember was September of 2016 when Kyle Lewis blew out his knee because that day was yeah. like okay the Mariners suck and the light at the end of the tunnel just went dark at least for the that next year that was just year. an incredibly dark day just incredibly <laughs> dark and then on the flip side of that it's like you grow attached to these prospects and when they make it to the major leagues you know, you're like, you have these huge expectations for how, you know, how good are they going to be? That's why 
all this talk of, you know, Kelnick's going to be the next, you know, the next great. Well, you don't like know that until they, until they play. And that's what makes stories like Kyle Seeger so interesting because he wasn't supposed to be Kyle Seeger. Like he was the utility man that played the infield out of North Carolina. So that's, I, there's just so many different dimensions with prospects. It's, it keeps it really interesting every year. Yeah, I, I think the um, it it is it is simultaneously you know that that really grim disappointment that you can have is allayed as well by the fact that you know it has its own sort of built in. There's always next year because there's always prospects. There's there's always going to be players with with potential that you can that you can look at, and maybe it's not going to be knock your socks off like uh you know jared or 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 like julio but you know like kate said when we started really in in earnest trying to pump up lookout landings uh prospect coverage like wasn't a lot going on um you know on down on the farm so that's an understatement you guys made mcniter big Um, (laughs) we worked with what we had yeah so you know so it it but it is you know i think i think it also gives you a chance to really be excited and interested in the sport around the league yes um, and that is something i would like to say is just i want to put in one more uh boost for the arizona fall league which i think is going to be a little hurting now that they didn't get to have it this year um go to the arizona fall league meet prospects make make friends, uh, pick your favorites because it really pays incredible dividends in your baseball fandom as a whole. Um, and obviously not everyone can go do that, but even just kind of getting into that just on the surface level and knowing like who the big up and comers are and and picking your favorites out. It it was so cool to see. I saw Vladimir Guerrero Jr. uh, Acuna, um, you know, it's so exciting to see these guys, uh, Joe Adele, you know, also kind of good to know what's coming down the pike at you, uh-huh. Forrest Whitley. Um, but it just, it makes you into a really well-rounded baseball fan. And then you, you get to know some of these guys and you, you pull for them. And I, I just think it's a, it's a great, I love the human element in baseball and prospects and following prospects lets you do that. Um, I've, I'm grateful for all the relationships that I've formed with people who are going through professional baseball. When Ian Miller finally got to make his pro debut, I mean, it felt like I got to make my pro debut. So it was, um, yeah, it's a really, it's a very low stakes investment that can pay off very big. Yeah, no, I, I fully agree. And and I think there's a, there's a challenge because there's a, I think there is a built in sort of appeal of the like, wanting to be an early investor and wanting to like have the look I told you so and you get a little bit of that but also like not everyone is going to care about prospects so they're going to be like okay like yes now I see that this person's a star but so you have to really sort of temper that on like look isn't this neat this is how it came together for them and that that's I think where where it can be a fun sort of entry point and discussion point and how you get other people in is like it's fun to watch the process um and and seeing seeing people come come together like that is 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 really neat um and yeah like like kate said i mean 
I'm recording it does make this. you a better baseball fan too. Like when we did the podcast about how this team got built, mm-hmm. like a huge part of that is from the prospects yeah. and understanding what path each team is taking towards contention mm-hmm. can really help you understand. It's like lifting up the hood on baseball and seeing like kind of the under like the the inner workings of it. Mm-hmm. I will say just one more boost for the AFL. Yep, I am wearing a uh, Peoria Javelinas uh, hat as we record this, and I'm missing it terribly. Uh, Kate, I think you probably also had this pop up on like your Instagram feed or something. Yeah, my, photos, my memories, like, and also a lot today. of a lot of the not prospects today. are posting their like one year ago. I mean, was it not just a year ago that you were racing Jonathan Klatze in a foot race? Yep. <laughs> racing is a generous <laughs> Racing what, racing is what, a generous term. What is it when like you have a Ferrari and then a Fred Flintstone car? Like, <laughs> is is that a race? Is that <laughs> My favorite thing is how he thought it was going to be serious for a little bit, and he got off to a start, and then he kind of realized <laughs> that you were way far back there, and he he took yeah. took the foot off, yeah. took his foot off the gas. Because I had to tell him, like I had to keep telling him, no, you keep going back. <laughs> yeah, like, you further back. Give me further. a further back start. Yeah, we're we're starting this like it's a relay race, except, <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh God. Um, Okay, well, I believe we got one more question here, um, and I think it's a good one to finish on. Uh, this has been some good draft talk, and uh, we'll, we'll finish with a question from Alex Ledbetter fifteen at Alex Ledbetter fifteen on Twitter. Should we expect extensions for Kelnick slash Julio slash Gilbert, similar to the Evan White deal? Also. Unrelated second question. Oh, actually. Oh, actually, one more question just came in, too, from oh, Nick Fielden. Okay. Um, what first-round potential prep infielder will you fall in love with over the next eight months, even though you know the Hems won't draft them? <laughs> Nick, getting just, me where I live. Yeah, just, just quick hitter that. Quick hitter that for me right here. Who's, quick hitter that? A uh, potential prep infielder. Just, just um, give me a name. Br- Braylon Bishop is he? He's an outfielder. He's an outfielder. Isn't he? uh, who's the one I'm thinking of? Who's not Braylon Bishop? Khalil Watson. Nope. Alex Mooney. Nope. Isaac Pacheco. Yep. That. Yeah. Him. Yes. I love Isaac Pacheco. Uh, there's less of a prayer, probably. I mean, who knows? A year is a, a year is a lot of time. I mean, really, that question could have been, what first-round potential prep, period, <laughs> will you fall in love with? And the answers are Ian Mahler at catcher, uh, Isaac Pacheco at shortstop, or any of the shortstops, really. Marcelo Meyer, even, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then Meyer. and then Dalen Lyle in the in the outfield. Those are my three, my three guys. Yeah. Mine is Meyer just because I don't think the Mariners have a prayer at Lawler or House, and so Meyer no. is the defunct left. De facto. Not defunct. defunct. Nope, de we're going to go with defunct. <laughs> no. He brings defunct. I don't think Marcelo Meyer would be happy about you calling him defunct. <laughs> he brings defunct to the field. <laughs> <laughs> I like him. That kid out. That kid is out there hustling. He's got quite a social presence. He's so. a West Coaster. He's a... Uh... Oh, also, he is a Pearl Jam and Nirvana fan. I interviewed oh, him like he, two weeks ago, and he had he a, belongs here. He had a Nirvana poster on in the back, like on his back wall, and he had a Pearl Jam shirt on. And I said, "Where are you from, and why aren't you here?" <laughs> <laughs> 
I like that a lot. Uh, I am going to put in not an infielder, but because I agree with with y'all's. I I'm a big James Wood enthusiast. Um, I, I love, love James Wood. I love James yeah, Wood. I love that. Just like six that, foot six, six six. I love that. Just like super casual, like uh, handhold and the. I think like, there's a real Aaron Judge comp there in the way that Judge is so big, but has been coached so well to like keep his hands in, and you see the same thing with uh, with Wood. Yeah, his hit tool seems to be better than you usually get for guys that big. Like it's good. Yeah. I, which, uh, we we've talked over at uh, Prospects Live. We've talked to a couple of the scouts from Perfect Game. And they both think James Wood is better than Zach Veen. Yeah, I I'm pretty interested in him. I you know I, I mean that's part of the thing of like whatever like they have outfielders whatever get another really really talented guy who you you know can hopefully coach and I yeah. anyway um, okay. Uh, Let's uh, let's let's go. Oh, we we actually didn't answer the second part of that of, of Isabel's question. I'm realizing about what your first draft was that you that you really deeply invested in. Um, mine mine was 2011. I spoke a little bit about Trevor Story, and right? Some of those guys, but yeah, 2011. Kate, uh, much later than that. I'm sorry. While we are uh, talking about, I totally ambushed Alex Ledbetter's question to the extensions question. We're good. I, for... I figure we'll do that after. Uh, we, we, can, okay. we can finish on that. Yeah, I don't... I mean, I didn't follow the draft until 2016, probably, whenever I started doing this job. Um, yeah. And only because I had to, and I was very scared of it. I was like, how is anyone expected to know all of this? <laughs> Yeah, it is. It is a ton. I I remember like watching the draft uh, at least as far back as uh, two thousand eight because I remember D Gordon being picked, um, but I I think I didn't really in depth, uh, yeah, get into it probably until uh, twenty. Let's see, it would have been when was Alex Jackson's draft? 14. That was twenty fourteen. Yeah, so twenty fourteen. That was partly because. Um, Grant Bronston, fellow staff writer, was working for the Mariners at the time and was in the draft room. Um, so I was like very particularly interested and engaged because I was, you know, not getting trade secrets entirely, but was wanting to like, you know, follow along with with what was going on there. Um, and the team was good. So was, oh, we got a, a last time. minute question from Eric too. Eric Sanford, staff writer. The highest 2021 draft slot, Jerry will possibly take a prep high upside young toolsy player instead of a college arm. <laughs> um, what's our third? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe the second pick? Yeah, probably 50. Yeah. I don't know if it's 50. I'm just, I think it's going to be around 50. Yeah, we'll see. Depending on what they do with their first pick and, mm. and how much they have to hand out in a draft bonus, but... Uh, I think Eric Eric added the eyes emoji, so I think Eric knows as well as we do that uh, that dreaming on prep talents as a Mariners fan is a fool's errand. Yeah, it's uh, it's a it's a tough it's a tough ask. I mean, it's not a bad strategy to draft like a college player, you know, you can sign first so that you then have that money locked in, but they haven't really done that second part of okay we've got this little extra bit of cash to throw around so maybe this year we'll see okay alex we have we have sort of delayed you long enough here so so 
Should we expect extensions for Kelnick, Julio, Gilbert, uh, similar to the Evan White deal? Um, and then uh, we'll get to the second question after we talk about that right there. No, well, not for 2021, no chance on Julio. Uh, Kelnick Agreed. and Gilbert, I think those have, just in reading between the lines from what Jerry said, I think those have probably been thrown around to both of those players and their agents. Yeah. Um, but especially for Kelnick, like, nobody's going to bet harder on themselves than Kelnick. So unless it's a Ronald Acuna type, you know, eight-year, $100 million deal for Kelnick, I just... I I have a hard time seeing when why he would take an extension if unless it's a big number. Yeah, it's, a, it's which I'm not opposed to. Just FYI, I believe entirely in backing up the Brinks truck and shoveling it at Jared Kelnick because I think he's a safe floor kind of player. As much as you can have that for somebody who's never played in MLB, but um, you know, I there are enough tools there. He has a track record of health. I would be more nervous about giving it to Julio just because uh, Julio has kind of a troubling health history. Like, he's not always been able to stay on the field. Um, But, yeah, I mean, shovel the money at whoever will take it and build your franchise around that. But I I don't think we see it for a variety of reasons. Yeah, I think Kellenick's extension probably comes next offseason after he's got, you know, if he hits 280 to 310 over – three months in 2021 then they're going to back up the Brinks truck (laughs) yeah and can you I mean I I hate to say this too but I think there's a more of a likelihood of somebody like Julio who maybe comes from not disadvantaged circumstances but not the circumstances Kelnick comes from which a very wealthy background he just doesn't there's not that economic anxiety factor it's just a fact there's not that economic anxiety factor for American-born players Gilbert, Kelnick are going to approach those kinds of deals differently than a Latin American player who is looking at the future of his family. That's a sad truth, but it is a truth. Um, I do think for Kelnick, another thing that Seattle can look at is um, the risk of not doing so. Uh, you know, we had a little discussion in uh, you know among the staff about the Cubs. Uh, and I don't want to go too long on this because we could go for quite a while on the Cubs. But um, but someone wrote, Kate, do you remember who, who had written it about whether like the Theo Epstein era was a success or not? Oh, I saw that the other day. That uh, was a Matthew Trueblood take, I believe. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Which, which, which I think is... Much Wait. too, much too harsh. You know, I mean, not harsh, or isn't the yeah. word, but I, but I think it. You know, you. Win I think title, if you won a you World win. Series, you don't yeah. get to. You, <laughs> that's yeah. just it. Like yeah. they won a, a World yeah. Series, ninety game, ninety wins over uh, or ninety win pace in five of the last six years, and three division titles. So, uh, and playoffs five of the six years. So you know that's a very good stretch. But I they think left meat on the bone. They left meat on the bone, and I think a big part of that was. I mean. There are plenty of mistakes that they made and, and just poor development, pitching-wise particularly, um, that, that let them down. But, um, you know, Chris Bryant's going to leave. Chris Bryant is going to leave this team who is the reason they got, you know, that this all worked, that it worked as it did, you know, because they got this top pick and he... Through somewhat, you know, some in part development and in part 
um, you know, him being great already. Like, he won an MVP his second year in the league. And he was the rookie of the year the year before that. And, like, he's sort of fallen off a little bit. He got hurt a little bit. But, like, he's going to leave. And that's, you know, the Mariners, I think, if this is going to work, they can't afford to have the core guys get away. And so I think, you know, it's an ounce of prevention, an ounce of prevention to sign Jared Kelnick for, you know, whatever that, like, huge number is, like, it's not going to look so bad when, you know, even if he's just a decent player, if you have that guy, you know, for for a decade, he can still be a huge core component, and that investment, I think, is going to pay dividends long term. So so I think that they hopefully recognize that in, in themselves and, and see, okay, you know, whether he's an MVP candidate or if he's just, you know, a decent outfielder, it's still worth the, worth the risk, so to speak, to, to keep him around for a long time. That's a really good take, John. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay, and the secondary question from Alex is, which position player on the current roster are you most excited about for 2021 based on their 2020 performance. Kate, obviously for pitching, I think you noted Justice Sheffield has been the sort of guiding light, but uh, for position players here, who, who are you most excited about in a full 2021 season? Um. <laughs> <laughs> the offense was really good this year. Yeah. Um, uh, can I say Jared Kelnick? <laughs> uh, Not on the roster yet. Can I say uh, Taylor Trammell? No, no. I was um, going to say Joe Luis Torrens. Luis Torrens. Luis Torrens. Luis Torrens. Not technically a prospect, uh, but uh, he was hitting the ball really hard. The exit velocity is very real. I like him as a person. I think he's smart, uh, big baseball IQ. I think they can do a lot with him. If they can machine him into a usable catcher again, um, I will be really... I, I think Tony Arnerich does, who's a, the Mariners catching coordinator, I think he does a great job. Uh, one of the best in the business. If he leaves, I will be really, really mad that they uh, lost him because that is such a difficult thing I think it's just something that uh, teams don't have. They don't have the ability to develop catching really well. And Arnerich is a is a leader in that field. And you can see he's he's done a ton of great work with Raleigh, Nola, uh, even Narvaez, who turned into a pumpkin once he left here, I guess. But yeah, so I, I like their track record with catchers. I think that could be a huge value add if they show an ability to really develop catching. Um it would certainly make my mind more at ease about their ability to develop on the position player side. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what Torrens does. Joe? I'll take Demo. I'll take Demo. Dylan Moore. I think there's a, I think there's an outside chance that he could be a Rover and be like a 2020 guy. Um, I don't know. 20 home runs might be asking too much. He's certainly strong enough. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, it'd be, it'd be cool to see Dylan Moore hit like 250 with 20 home runs and 20 steals as a rover next year. That'd be super valuable. Yeah, I mean, he was on pace. He had eight right. 
2020. And, I mean, even in 2019, if he had played full-time, he would have hit 20 homers. Yeah. Um, at least at, at his pace. So, uh, yeah. yeah. I think that's not a bad call. Uh, I Yeah, I mean, I don't want to do disservice. I am reasonably excited for uh, Ty France. Um, I, I think that's, that's someone I want to see um, – more of because I think he has sort of a uh, it's going to be weird because I don't know exactly how his shot is going to manifest but um, you know he's going to have a shot at the start of 2021 to say all right, put me in the starting lineup every day and plan for me to be in the starting lineup every day Um, you know sort of like Chet Long had this year and unfortunately Chet Long was playing hurt and so kind of squandered that chance um not to say he couldn't get right back there but uh that's the that's the reality of it um so yeah i'm excited for that and of course mitch hanniger is is also honorable mention so can i just say it is it is fascinating that kyle lewis doesn't come up in these conversations i mean the mariners are gonna have the rookie of the year and like I'm not going to say nobody is excited for 2021, but I think everyone is kind of taking precautions for 2021 with Kyle Lewis. Yeah. I am very excited to watch more of Kyle Lewis. I am nervous about more Kyle Lewis. Not not like in a sense of like, oh, it's going to all fall apart. But, but, you know, we saw the sort of continuation of his amazing start, and then we saw him struggle in some of the way you know much in the way that we thought he might struggle um in the second half and he did a good thing in that he was still walking and that was enough to keep him from sort of completely cratering offensively um and he was still playing good defense which is how you know it's it's sort of i've seen the daniel vogelbach comparison and the comparison is not so far off in terms of the offensive stretch, but it is far off because Kyle Lewis can play a good defense and Daniel yeah, Vogelbach can play cannot. a corner too. So yeah, so you 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 know the floor is just a lot higher when you are still taking your walks, you still have solid speed, and you're still playing defense uh, decently. So you know you can have a good stretch and then a bad stretch and then be trusted to come back as opposed to you have to hit and you can't not hit for a while. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's Kyle Lewis. That was Kyle Lewis's it was his second it was his full report. season where he didn't have an injury in his yeah. career, in his professional career. You know, 2019 was the first and 2020 was his second and it wasn't really a full season. So I am reasonably interested to see a, another full healthy season because I think that, I think 2021 is going to be really big for Kyle Lewis. Yeah, I think it's I think it's going to be really important. Yeah, um, um, that goes without saying for every player, but especially for his career trajectory, I think it's important. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, I think we can call it there for this uh, for this round of uh, they might be Mariners. Um, we. 
Uh, we'll be back soon. Uh, we can talk some more draft updates. Uh, maybe we'll get a little bit more of a uh, trickle out of the Instructional League. Um, and we'll probably be uh, into the true offseason. We'll, we'll start to see some moves. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to talking to you guys about that, about how that impacts Seattle's development and, um, and, uh, what 2021 and beyond will look like until then. Goodbye.